This morning we have two Bible readings, firstly from Habakkuk in the Old Testament and then from Hebrews in the New Testament. Habakkuk 2, verses 1 to 5, it's on page 712 in the Pew Bible. And it reads, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I'll wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant one never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. And then from Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 39, it's on page 926 of the Pew Bible. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same thing. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away the confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that is promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God, to their own destruction, we are the faithful, the ones whose souls will be saved. May these readings be a blessing to us all. Thank you very much, Roger. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that, Lord, you would speak through, through your word. We pray that, Lord, that uh, in your mercy you would open our hearts that, Lord, that perhaps there'll be people here this morning that a little portion of the, of the scripture that is read, and perhaps maybe in your mercy, something that I mention about that scripture, would have a life-changing result. We know that it is only by your spirit that enlivens the word that this can happen. So we ask, Holy Spirit, work in my heart this morning, 
work in the hearts of every person here and all those listening online and all those at the second service later this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, uh, my wife Catherine has been uh, recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. And one of those things that comes to mind, and perhaps it's come to your mind at times when you have been facing really difficult situations in life, is the question, what if it doesn't get better? Who's had that question in their mind at some point about something? Uh, and so you, it could, you know, uh, I can find myself to use the words of uh, Vanessa uh, Risney. She's a lady who's suffering post-polio syndrome, where eventually the, all of her body becomes effectively comatose and she has to be looked after. And she was this high-flying alpha woman, highly succeeding, and eventually she's on this downward trend to being fully looked after and a prisoner in her own body. Uh, and she said this, uh, she said that she, was, uh, uh, she, she found herself growing fearful, not the heart-stopping, all-encompassing fear, but that kind of gnawing, constant fear that makes you look at the discouraging trends, that makes you look at all the facts and realizing things are not going to get any better anytime soon. And then you start to think, what if the worst happens? Well, I have to say, at different times in my life, this question has emerged. What if? Who's, who's had what if questions even in the middle of the night at three or four in the morning? They just gnaw away at you. They unsettle, destroy the peace, leaving you insecure. You know, and so for me, it's, you know, what if, what if uh, God doesn't heal Catherine? Will, will I be alone the rest of my life? You know, what will that be like? What will it be like in hospice care? All those questions around and around. What about my children? Do you have what if questions? What if my relationship with my child, my spouse, my parent-in-law, my son-in-law, my grandchildren, what if this broken relationship doesn't get better? What if I'm always going to be renting, living from one paycheck to the next? What if my health condition worsens? What if the forgetfulness that I have, this is the first service, the more older service, there may be some who are experiencing increasing forgetfulness. You might say, what if this is the first sign of dementia? What if my depression or mental health condition never gets better? Well, Habakkuk was one of those living not only with the question, what if it doesn't get better? He actually had an answer. It wasn't going to get better. And, 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 and in fact, it was going to get much, much worse. Much, much worse before it would get better. And that the promises that it would get better eventually were not going to be in his lifetime. Yes, I know the promises I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and give you hope. That's 70 years after exile. You know, if I was sentenced to jail and then God's saying, wait 70 years, Alistair, you'll be 104 and then things will be good, I'll be going like, well, you know, or whatever my age. It, it, would, it, it, it wouldn't be a message of great hope uh, living in that moment. And so, and, and for Habakkuk, some of his worst fears actually were going to come true for him. You know, imagine uh, for most people living in prosperity, living in peace, living with a degree of freedom, living not as slaves or in exile, living without the fear that a raging horde would turn up to Geraldine and that most of us would die by the sword, starvation, or the plague, 
Living without those fears would be a good life, and having all those horrible things happen would be our worst nightmare come true. Imagine for people in Ukraine two years ago living in peace and what's happened to to their lives. Well, all of Habakkuk's worst fears were going to come true. So Habakkuk's an interesting prophet. Most of the prophets, what they do is they would bring a message to the people. Habakkuk's a little different. Habakkuk talks about his personal, what he brings his complaint to God. And his first complaint is he's moaning about the state of Judah, the moral decline of society. He's looking at how the society is going downhill. He's looking at the rise of rampant crime. If he was today, he'd be talking about the ram raids or things like this. He was talking about lawlessness, the corruption of politicians and the narcissism. He's talking about the faithlessness and hypocrisy of the church. You sort of wonder if anything has changed in thousands of years. All these things were gripping him. And so he brings this complaint to God and says, what are you doing about this God? And God comes up with an answer, but the answer absolutely rocks Habakkuk. It startles him. Essentially, God says, yes, little prophet, the people of Judah have become wicked, and I'm not looking at it idly. In fact, I'm raising up the Babylonians to destroy them. Habakkuk reels and rocks. He thought he had justice problems before, And now all the more. So he writes this second complaint. And for those who've been in the sermon series, you know this, but there are always those arriving, and and it's good to catch up. And then the second complaint is not against Judah, but against God. And effectively, Habakkuk's complaint against God is your cure of the Babylonian army invading Judah is worse than the disease. In fact, the Babylonians, we're really bad, bad, I get it, but the Babylonians are actually even worse. And so he goes on and says, how can you justify the way you're running the nations with your character is holy and good? And he becomes defined. He says, I will take my stand to look out to see what God will say to me and answer concerning my complaint. He presumes that God's response to a second complaint will not suffice and he's already ready for an answer back. If you always had that in your mind, sometimes when I'm having an argument with Catherine and she's giving me her side, I've already got my next reply. I'm just waiting for her to stop. Well, Habakkuk's exactly the same. He's, he's, he's already got the next reply ready. But actually, God's answer does silence him. The prophet never registers a third complaint. And a key part of God's response to change Habakkuk is a verse that is used several times in the New Testament. And it's a verse of one of the key verses of Romans. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. The answer, the ultimate answer to the what if questions we all face today and tomorrow is if you truly know Jesus Christ, if you have experienced his love in your heart, you know you're walking with the Lord. It's not religion. It is a faith, and you've got that rock. If that is the case, then you will walk by faith. You will every day walk by faith. Those who truly love the Lord will do so. So this morning we're looking at God's second response to Habakkuk. Right? And so, and this key verse also connects in to the book of Hebrews. Let me read this back to you. And this is picking up new several times in, this, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament. I'm going to read the, new, uh, the Hebrews version of the righteous will live by faith. Think back on the early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how faithful you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. 
Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. When everything you owned, imagine that, was taken away, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that would last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it will bring you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do the God's will. Then you will receive everything he has promised you. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful one whose souls will be saved. So Hebrews says, yes, you've suffered terribly or are suffering terribly, mocking, ridicule, loss of assets. And right now, there are 50,000 Christians in North Korean concentration camps. There are most Christians in, in China, Iran, other countries in the world are suffering terribly. And for Hebrews, this was the thing that their suffering might continue, but through faith, through patient endurance, you will eventually receive God, all that God has promised. And the main thing we receive is God himself. It's interesting that the song, It Is Well With My Soul, was chosen. How could anyone humanly lose all four of their daughters and then just say the words, it is well with my soul? You can be well with your soul if God is everything to you, if you truly live by faith in him. One of the things in a, in a, in a, I've noticed, and this permeates the church, and I hear it subtly at times, and I hear it very clearly at times, is a, this false teaching and you get to see it come in all sorts of churches. And it's got various names to it, but often it's called prosperity gospel. And it states either subtly or clearly. And it goes like this. If you give your life to God, if you do all these things, you are going to receive a great blessing in this lifetime. Now, the, now uh, you've got to be balanced here. The Bible does give amazing wisdom for businesses, it gives amazing wisdom for marriages, it gives amazing wisdom for child rearing, it gives amazing wisdom in all sorts of areas. And if you faithfully apply all of that wisdom, there is a really, the, the, the statistical research, I was just listening to a video this morning on this guy who was a researcher and he looked at people who are living super long ages, super happy lives, and they're looking at the blue zones. And one of the, 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 the best blue zone was this Christian community following the Bible. It was just very fascinating. He's not a Christian, but it was just it was a TED talk. And I was like, oh my goodness, this guy could give a message. I was very tempted to show it this morning. I thought, no, it's the don't stay on the motorway, Alistair. We're on, we're on this text, not that. But it was, it, was, it was like, wow, it was just exciting. But the problem is, is if you say, well, I do all these things, I'll get this. Well, what if? What if you're not that? What if you're the prophet Hosea who's married Goma? Is your marriage going to work out? What if uh, you are God and your first children are Adam and Eve? Are your children going to be good and obedient? What if, you know, you can have a look at all these things and you see this all through the Bible? What if in today, thinking of today, what if you were a farmer in Zimbabwe? 
right? You've worked hard, you're buying the Bible, then Mugabe comes to power in the 1980s or 90s. What's going to happen to your farm? What if you're a Kulak farmer in the 1917? The Kulaks, if you don't know your history, were these incredibly hard-working peasant farmers. They had worked their way up from a thing, achieved wealth, and in 1970, the communists came in, and the Kulak class was the most hated class because they were entrepreneurial peasants. And the communists pretty much wiped them out. What if you had a business in 1987 were wiped out or the Great Depression? I know of stories where people lost everything. One of the questions is, what if it doesn't get better? For Habakkuk, he was going to live during one of the worst periods in Judah's history, and it was likely he would not be alive at the end of the 70-year exile to see the new dawn. And this wasn't the plan for him for it to get better. And so while the Bible has all these amazing teachings, there can be this sense of, well, if you do this, you'll get that. How about this teaching? If you have Jesus Christ, you have enough. Do you want Jesus this morning? Do you want the gift giver? Or do you want the gifts he gives here on this earth? Jesus, and one of the interesting things is, and you notice this in John's gospel, all four gospels record that Jesus multiplied the bread. Only John's gospel says what was going on in the minds of those that, that had the bread. And they were not after Jesus' teaching. They were after the free food. And, but they were after the gifts that Jesus had, but their hearts, they wanted nothing to do with God. Do you want God this morning? Do you want him? And is he, if you lost everything else, would he be enough. The righteous will live by faith. Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If you, and one of the things I've noticed is if your treasures are here on this earth and you have this sense, well, uh, uh, I should have a happy church, happy relationships, good minister, good husband, good children, good job, good health. And if I get all these things, that's good. If I don't, I'm going to be bitter and resentful. One of the things that subtly creeps into Christian lives is fighting of bitterness, resentment, anger, frustration, and ingratitude. Why? Because secretly, even though their lips worship God, their idols are the things of this earth. And I, you know, I've, I've known that, but I have to say, when I walked into the doctor's clinic, I'm, I'm young, and Catherine and I have lived a very healthy life and, and had terminal news, suddenly that reality is Jesus enough for me. That reality, that question, it is easy enough to, to speak it, but when you're in that room and you hear the worst news you've ever heard in your life, that night's tested. It's best to ask the question right now, Lord, are you enough for me? I, uh, it's, it's interesting reading um, you know, with Hebrews. It said they lost all their assets, which they joyfully accepted. I was, um, there was this, the first person who wrote a commentary on the Bible, uh, uh, Matthew Henry, and he, um, when he died, after he died, his diary, of his notes, was taken. And one of the, the little excerpts that came out of this amazing uh, commentator from centuries ago was one day he, uh, he, was, um, um, he, he had a highway robbery. So someone with a gun um, or, or a weapon uh, took his wallet. And uh, so he wrote home, and he got home, and he wrote in his little diary. And, his, and what this, no, he wasn't writing it to anyone out in the world. He was writing it to himself. But just after he died, it got... It, you know, people published it. 
And he said, oh, Lord, I just, I just want to thank you today that even though I lost my wallet, the guy didn't take my life. He said, you know, and he said, Lord, I just want to thank you. The guy's never, never before stolen my, my wallet. So this is the first time it's happened. And Lord, I just want to thank you that even though I've lost all of my worldly wealth, you haven't blessed me with a lot of it anyway, so it hasn't really mattered. And I was like, I was like, that's not the attitude I would have. And when I, and one of the things was I had this, he was a person who was working in a United Nations um, a refugee camp. He's a Christian uh, working for the things. And he came and chatted to me, and he said he was humbled. He was in Africa, and there was this, this family. Uh, they had uh, traveled for five days through the jungle with, with, with next to no food, on bare feet. Everything they had had been wiped out. This ethnic cleansing was going on in the, the part they were. And they had just rolled into the refugee camp. And he was one of the people meeting them there. And when he met them there, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through this. And the, and the father just lit up and he said, oh, it's the, we've had the most amazing four days through the jungle singing praises to Jesus. God has been so real to us. I felt the peace of God. He's delivered me from snakes. He's delivered me from this. We have felt the power of God. And I am just, we have arrived through Jesus Christ. And as he arrived there, the, the person who was the Western New Zealand working for the thing felt humbled. Who had true treasures in this life? What if the worst happens? What if, what if there was ethnic cleansing in New Zealand? Not that I could imagine such a thing. Is Jesus enough for you? For Habakkuk, the question was being answered. Yes, the worst was yet to come. He was on the verge of one of the biggest catastrophes the world had ever seen. For, for Babylon was going to burn Jerusalem to the ground. And if you want to know how horrific it is, if you want to even just in reading how horrific ancient Near East warfare, I, if you, it's almost like our, it should, this is a book of the Bible that should almost have an R16 or read Lamentations. Horrific, the stuff that was taking place in Jerusalem in the months before uh, the, the, the things, what, took, what mothers were doing with their children. I cannot even have the heart to say to, to you this morning. And this was what ha was awaiting Habakkuk. But the Lord was enough for him. And so, my friends, I had a simple message for you. Is the Lord enough for you? Even if the worst was to come, is Jesus enough?